Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Creative Insider podcast, dedicated to helping creatives become more accomplished professionals. Now, you may be wondering, this isn't Georgi's voice, and you're right about that. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Desiree Bambinik. I'm a creative brand strategist, and I'm the second half behind the Creative Insider. This week, we speak to a duo whose channel and whose projects, whose videos especially, have been inspiring me for the past few years. Not only how they create their content, but also the mission that they stand for. Colin Chi is founder and creator of Never Too Small, and his business partner, Joel Beef, join us in this conversation where we talk about Australian urban thinking, small footprint design, publishing a book, creating videos internationally throughout the pandemic without traveling, and also what's on the horizon. These two might be called never too small, but their thinking is definitely big. Before we dive into the conversation though, I'd like to invite you to join us in our Creative Insider world on thecreativeinsider.com. We also have a newsletter, which I personally curate for you on a monthly basis. So that's where you're, you'll be reading my handprint, so to speak. And I'd also like to invite you to engage with us on Instagram at TCI podcast or on LinkedIn as well on the Creative Insider um, podcast page. We hope you get inspired by this conversation. The Never Too Small channel has been a source of inspiration and calm for me for many years. And Colin and Joel are very much a breath of fresh air. So enjoy and tune in. Welcome, Joel. Thank Hello. you for having us, Desiree. Thanks for joining the Creative Insider from Australia. So really quite a ways away from Frankfurt and Europe. <laughs> so um, Colin and Joel are um, actually Colin is the creator of Never Too Small, which we're going to get That's into right. later. And um, Joel, um, from what I understood from our um, sort of warm up, is his um, brother in arms and soon to be more involved <laughs> in Never Too Small and publishing. And I'm going to let you two maybe introduce yourselves first in your own words, a little bit about your background. Sure. And yeah, Colin, go for it. I suppose I'm the one to start first. Yeah. So I'm the creator yeah. of Never Too Small and my name is Colin Chi. Of course, I don't have any Australian accent, but because I come from Malaysia and been in Australia for about 20 years now. And then, um, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm Joel. I think I've probably got more of an Australian accent, although a lot of people sometimes little, say yeah. I sound English <laughs> because my mother, my mother's actually from England, but, um, I was actually born in a little tiny country town in, in New South Wales called Bathurst, but that's by the by. I'm, um, 
Look, I joined Never Too Small uh, about a year and a half ago. I saw what they were doing and I had a close relationship with a couple of the founders as well and came on as a, a joint founder to um, to really accelerate the digital parts of, of Never Too Small and, and grow it into the media company that we're turning it into today. Cool. Well, for anybody who does not know Never Too Small, Never Too Small is actually, I, I was saying this before, is sort of like my zen in um, short videos. Um, it's, uh, it's a focus on, on small living, small footprints, um, and a focus on architecture and how to, to revamp spaces. And um, yeah, so I'm thrilled to have you both here. And um, Colin, you just said you um, originally come from Malaysia. Can we sort of get yeah. into that? What's your, what's your background? How did you land in Australia? Well, I guess because it's, you know, next door pretty much, but what was your background? It's kind there? of next door. It's about eight hours flight only. <laughs> um, oh, wow. okay. I came here for uni. <laughs> yeah, so I came here to study multimedia design and then um, I sort of major in video productions mostly. And after my degree, um, I continued to study another um, sort of TV and uh, film productions course. And after that, I've been... Um, stick with video production right until right now so it's been about 15 years now oh wow okay and joel do you yeah. have a similar background in video production as well or more like digital my my background is i, I studied journalism in university i i then left university and and went straight into a, a career as a high-rise window cleaner which is a, an odd transition for journalists to, to jump into yeah, yeah, I, Tell us Crown more. Towers, Crown Towers, Cole. Just hang off oh, the edge wow. of the, the building and, and, and wow. doing a couple of drops a day. That's what they call it in the industry, drops where you go down the side of the building, you clean it. Well, next time when windows. I see the towers, windows, I would think of you. How big are those towers? They're, it's 40 are stories. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and I'm terrified of heights, Desiree. They're I was about to say, so you're heights. a daredevil. So no, you're not a daredevil. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely not. Um, but, but I, I, you know, I sort of drifted around through my early 20s. Um, I'm, I'm you know, intrinsically a very creative person, but I, I had many different jobs. I worked in nightclubs and bars and things like that. But it was around around the age of 25, 26, where I started to, um, I, I found a job with a small production company, started working as a runner there, really loved making ads and things like that. Um, started, a, started a very small media company with my brother. We ended up turning that into Australia's largest independent digital agency, which was acquired by um, Accenture three years ago. Oh, um, cool. What is, what is the but, agency called? Uh, it was called Loud and Clear Creative. Ah. And, um, yeah, it, and, and it was acquired. Um, but, but during that time, we actually worked with some of the production team that Colin worked with, um, that, that actually the production team behind Never Too Small, which is called New Mac. New um, Mac Agency. New Mac Agency. They were our video supplier and I fell in love with the team and and the work that they were doing. And, you know, I knew I wanted to spend more time with them. And then when I sort of, sort of saw what they were doing with, with Never Too Small, I, I you know, it was just so beautiful, just so beautiful creatively and, and such an important message and such an important thing they're actually bringing to everyone's attention. I, I knew I had to be part of that and that's how I came to be So how did you involved. both meet? Do you Cole, remember? Cole or is it that long ago? <laughs> I, I used to be um, Joe's slave, really. So if nice, Joe's got any video nice. projects, they will hire um, New Mac Video Agency, which I work as an editor and also a videographer. And now this time I at Joe's office and film stuff for Joe. Well, mostly like uh, creative corporate videos and stuff like that and social media videos at some point. And that's how we met. 
Yeah. yeah. So when our, when our when our agency needed video production done, we'd we'd get Cole's team to um to to produce them for us. Cool. So, um, Colin, you have your own agency now too, though, if I understood correctly, right? Uh, which I think it's a never too small agency. No, not really. Um, I used to work for uh, new video agencies, and never too small is really part of the like a side project for us, because um, when I. I bought this apartment back in 2011, off plan, and then in 2013, I moved in into this 37 square uh, meter studio apartment. Is that the one we're seeing then, in the um, background? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. So that's the whole apartment. <laughs> we might so. get a house tour out of this. <laughs> oh, probably not. It's too messy. Anyway, underwear on the floors and dirty laundries, and um, so. After that, I keep looking on YouTube for inspirations of how to decorate and, you know, design my place. And then um, I started looking at Instagram and Pinterest and also architects and interior designers' website, mainly Melbourne-based. And I saw a lot of um, designs that on their website is not available on YouTube. And then um, so I was, I really wanted their service or advice how to decorate my place. I thought, I approached James McPherson, which is um, another co-founder for Never Too Small. He used to be the boss, um, the owner for New Mac Video Agency, which is I, I, I work for. And um, so I said to him, like, I got this idea to create a YouTube channel about uh, small spaces design. And uh, could I use the, um, the camera gear in, in the studio? And then he said, yeah, let's make it into like a side project for, for the companies when we have our ah. free time. Cool. Okay. So, and I decided to sort of blindly email a couple designers and architects saying, hey, you know, I work for a video agency. I want to create a YouTube channel about small space design. I love your design. Um, would you be a part of my new project? And I think I emailed about 10 architects the first time and then only one of them replied. Yeah, <laughs> and, the beginning um, is tough. Yeah. yeah. Ben Edwards, who happened to be the design, the architects who designed our Never Too Small office, and then who also shared the office briefly with us, and now they bought their own new office building, and it's just moved out recently. Oh, cool. Yeah, we have that friendship with them. Yeah. I think the beginning is always hard. We've That's also... episode one, isn't it? Micro luck. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Sorry, Desiree. I think yeah. I, no, no problem. I think I remember that one. I was actually watching your, your most, most recent one yesterday, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I was... Um, <laughs> I was just saying that I think the beginning is always hard because you were saying you were writing 10 people and then only one answered when we got started as well. I know um, Georgi, who, who, um, who is the founder of, of the Creative Insider of our podcast, he wrote a lot of people too and everybody was like, oh yeah, but no, I'm too, I'm too shy and I don't want to be, uh, I hear my voice. And it was really difficult to actually get the first people or the first person, Absolutely. even singular on yeah. there. And I remember him and I then did the first episode like together to sh really show how a conversation could look like and what our basically our MVP of the conversation, what the whole feel and vibe could look like. And, um, and then people were like, oh, OK, no, maybe I could do that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds OK. And it's it's not an interview. It's it's you know, it could be chill. And yes, in the beginning, it was really hard. I can def definitely commiserate with that. <laughs> Yeah, I think the first 10 episodes is really hard for me to approach people. And um, usually ju they just straight away say no or no, no answer at all, no reply from them. But then I think after 10 episodes where we have like enough subscribers and the views on online, people tend to accept the offer if they can. Yeah. 
yeah, it's just getting easier along the way. Um, well, you yeah. have more practice too. Um, and you're mm, beginning to exactly. be have a, have a footprint. So people are beginning to see, okay, who's behind it? What are you doing? And so, yeah, that does become easier, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I stalk their profile a bit on LinkedIn and say, Hey, you know, you know, Ben Edwards. And then there's the video we made yeah. of his design recently. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, Ben Edwards on there. I can be on there as well. So yeah. Yeah. It, it and, becomes um, a tribe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And now, actually, when, when we first made, um, when I started Never Too Small last time, the first four episodes, the first ep- episode, of, of course, is Ben Edwards' uh, Microlux Apartment. And then the second episode, I kind of wanted to try like a small sculptures or artist, small form artist. So he happened to be an architect as well, who's making those May sculpture. Um, uh, Joe's really like that, uh, the artist anyway, the one with the maze one, Joe. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then um, after we filmed that, and I happened to find just finished design um, micro apartment in Cairo flat, which is just next to our office, not far from it. And um, I emailed architects and saying if I could film his apartment and um, the one with the yellow kitchen door. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So that one hasn't been seen in any publications yet. So he was very kindly let me film the apartment and after I finished the episodes, right, and then um, I started thinking, you know, no one's really come to the YouTube and watch it, put on Facebook. There's hardly any views. There's hardly any views at all. So I thought maybe I could approach other publications like Tree Huggers and The Zine and stuff like that. So I start writing email to them and saying, you know, this micro apartment in Melbourne, Australia, designed by Nicholas um, Agius, architect Nicholas just finished. And then, um, you know, there are photos like you can get photos from the designers, but if you want to use our video, uh, a company with your articles, feel free to use it. And then um, Tree Huggers publication, which is a Canadian um, digital publication, they actually use our video. And that's how episode three suddenly go boom. And then people starting to notice us. Yeah. And uh, yeah, same as episode four. And then um, I sort of starting uh, talking to the writers at Tree Hugger and then um, we started talking to each other a bit and I said, feel free to use the video if next time you're looking for content. So each time I would publish something and Tree Huggers would write, you know, the um, the article about the design and then they use the video, which is kind of like women for both situations for us, I think. How yeah. did you come up with the idea to do that? Did you read that somewhere or are you innately an extrovert and... <laughs> looking uh, uh, to put everything uh, out there uh, well i just figure it out and think how can i get more views to the channel i suppose and then just try different ways how to, to approach people and see what what will happen mm-hmm. so yeah. i guess you have that sort of i i feel like you have an innate business mindset if if you could say Do it that I, way Joe? <laughs> uh, we're, no, we're, we're working like on him. We're working on him. He's a he's a, he's a project in uh, in motion, Desiree. I, I think in the motion, thing with, with like Colin and the um, I don't know when you hear about most successful creative journeys, right, and people creating something from scratch, it comes down to that the common theme always seems to be persistence mixed with luck, right? Like you know, I think Cole there was like he could have released the video, put it up on YouTube, and walked away and said, "Oh well, I tried that and I gave that I gave that a shot," but yeah. You know, the success story there is that he didn't say, oh, I'm just going to walk away and that was a fail. He, he, he pursued oh, it. Oh, I did walk away for a bit. 
<laughs> oh, you did. Oh, absolutely. Let's, ab- let's actually <laughs> talk about <laughs> failing too later. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's and, hard um, work, right? How many hours did you put in at the beginning before, you know, you actually, f- or not hours, but how much time do you feel you put in at the beginning of Never Too Small before you felt it was really getting big and what you wanted it to be? Um, actually, when, when I first started in July in 2017, I made four episodes within like five months time. And then um, I leave it there for another five months and did nothing but episode three and four sort of pick up um, through magazine and stuff. So they started using um, our videos and then the numbers, the subscribers coming up, the viewers numbers coming up. And then James sort of encouraged me to keep making more videos of Never Too Small episodes. And then um, that's how I decided to write. I really want to commit to this project and then keep going. But at the start, it was really only me doing the whole show. So from looking for properties to, for design and then contacting the architects all the way A to Z, basically. So I did that for at least, I think, almost a year. But next to and your then, original Next job. to my full-time job as well. Oh, wow. So most of the episodes I film is during the weekends, also the editing time as well. Because some sometimes we get a bit of a free time in office, I will work on it. Um, but a lot of the time I just work Sunday and uh, Saturday and Sunday in the office editing the videos and trying to sort of fine-tune it and find the voice, the style for Never Too Small. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And What's really exciting for Cesare is that we've just like actually transitioned from like Cole being a full-time employee of the, the video agency into now we've got, I think, four or five full-time employees at Never Too Small now. So it's it's taken that that big step into I know, something that feels very tangible and very real and it's a beast that needs to be fed. So we, you know, nothing like the urgency of, of having staff to, to make sure that we, we keep going and and drive in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. And so you you founded it 2013, you said, because that's when you moved into your apartment. So in the last, like, um, circa 10 years? Or no, that's like nine? No, years. no, not really, no. Um, I moved in here 2013, but I really started Never Too Small in 2017, July. Ah, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're pretty young still. Or the company years, is pretty young still. Yeah, four years. Wow. Yeah. And then the first year you did full time and did that on the side with your with James being like, okay, that's fine, you can do that. Um, use our equipment, and then you started building it from there, basically. Yeah. So the first two years, or even three years, I worked full time for um, New Max still, but never too small. It's more like a side project for us. And then after that, James, um, our team basically put more resources into making the never too small work. So we have the producers helping along like Lindsay and Luke. Lindsay is our powerhouse producer, which I should mention her name because without her, there's no never too small. I'm sure. There's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's nothing. There's yeah, nothing. There's nothing. It's without Lindsay. <laughs> I, have, I have a friend who calls it the glue. Somebody needs to be the glue. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's like the chicken hands that keep all the chicks together. Or oh, Joe's and Anne would just oh, be that's everywhere, nice. right? That's really nice. Lindsay is Lindsay is wonderful in that she, you know, she, she's never, you know, she's got a production background, but she's never dealt with creating a book before. She's never dealt with running an e-com website or anything yeah. like that. And she's she's had to she's had to figure out how to do all these things really quickly because the creatives are off doing the creative things and. 
and she's sort of there to make sure that, well, it's something at the pieces, just making sure that there's some business and some logic and some accountability behind it as well. So, yeah, she's, uh, she's excellent. So like a she creative does it very puppet quickly. master. She's like a little package on steroids, basically. And then she's <laughs> very fast as well. She's getting sun, getting sun. Not precisely. I love that. I love that. Well, I greatly um, enjoyed the few emails that I um, that I um, got from her. They were very, you know, concise and to the point and organized. I was like, I love this person already. There's so much information there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is really a skill not a lot of people can pull off. Sadly, well, yeah. and, and and she knows she, Lynn's knows how to work with creatives, and she doesn't get frustrated. And she's, you know, she can remind you of a deadline without making it feel like an ominous threat hanging over your head. Like in a in a way that it's a uh-huh. it's a real balance to be able to remind somebody that they have something due at a certain point without making it feel like you know anything other than just a gentle reminder that you need to get cracking. <laughs> well, then we need to invite Lindsay here too, and and that will be yeah. a special episode working sure. with creatives. How yeah. to yeah. cotton candy the world. <laughs> so what other people yeah. do, um, do you have on the team that you work with? Uh, Luke Clark. Um, so Luke Clark is still partly working for, or he's still working for Numa Agency, but he also sometimes the producer for Never Too Small. And he's definitely the producer for our recent um, documentary series called Small Footprint. I'm not sure if you watch it on our YouTube channel yet. No, I is, haven't um, watched that one yet. That has to go on the, on the watch list. <laughs> yeah. So last year we got a grant from Screen Australia and YouTube to produce this documentary series, um, Small Footprint. So it's more about how um, urban planning is important for our growing cities and then how small footprint design sort of plays such an important role in growing our cities without overcrowding. And uh, yeah, it's a very thought-provoking series, but we want to make it quite, um, quite digestible for a lot of people who has no design background, mm-hmm. something that's engaging through showing, showcasing small, uh, clever, clever design, uh, small apartments to slowly introducing them to how urban planning works in an overarching way. So, yeah. I have to ask though, I, I know I just asked a different question, but I've, you're, you're reminding me of one thing that I'm totally curious about. How is the Australian lifestyle or architecture market that this topic specifically, because you mention it, or almost every architect in your series mentions it, that it's important to have an ecological mindset and to, to sort of make the best out of buildings that are already there to make a smaller footprint is that a very hot topic in in australia for some reason or is that something that comes from from your own interest where does where did i, I think these topics is from? always linger within um the design community itself like the architects or interior design community or urban planners communities but for a public perspective point of view we don't often hear these kind of ideas or this kind of philosophy using older buildings and um, for for Australia, especially for Melbourne, um, let's say I, I should start a bit more behind, which is for, for Melbourne CBD itself, um, before that it's just a central border district, so hardly anyone lived in the CBD. So in 1980s, um, the council decided to move people back to, the, um, to, to make people live in the CBD as like a village. And then they have this project is called Postcode 3000, which is they want to increase residents who live in the CBD and work in the CBD. Briefly, what, and, can you um, explain what CBD is for all our non-Australian uh, listeners? <laughs> it's a central border district, which is... Central, uh, central business district. 
Yeah, business, sorry, sorry. Central business district, which is a place where you only have office building. There's no one living. Ah, okay. So it's sort of like merging yeah. the, the suburbs more into the business areas and creating like hybrid spaces and that kind of it, thing. If, in the state for the Oakland, Melbourne, even Sydney, if you drive in, you'll, you'll go from a, a 20 kilometer ring out of Melbourne, which is um, quite large land sizes and large packets of land, um, you know, maybe... 500, 600 square metres, you'll move into the inner suburbs about 10 kilometres away and you'll sort of get your smaller pockets of land and maybe there's some very expensive larger houses but smaller sort of 300, 200 square metre blocks of land and then you hit the CBD, the central business district and it's just office towers. And ah, it's okay, been designed, I, I get it, yeah. Okay. It's been designed just to, just to house business really. Yeah, it's like the inner awful. city basically in European cities. Um, like yeah. okay, I get it. Okay, thanks. Well then. <laughs> but it's not like it's not like it's I mean, looking at looking at Melbourne from the looking at Melbourne from across the the, the river, like from the inner suburbs. It's not like Paris where it's, there's no really high buildings or anything like that, or you know even like some 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 a lot of European cities actually just you know they've had limitations on how high you can go, or there's a, a uniformity around the, the height of the building. Melbourne is and Sydney are both like you hit that sort of. Is two square kilometer zone and it's just really really tall buildings okay it's like hitting a wall basically out in yeah. the entire landscape of melbourne ah okay i see okay okay well that makes it clear then colin go yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> probably joe's excellent better than i do so they, they wanted to bring people back um, and live in the city so all the business businesses can thrive not only um before that you know all the all the people go home at five o'clock and the whole CBD become a dead space. There's no activities here. So they started with, um, in 1985, with 635 residents in the cities. And then they have a mission to grow to five, uh, 5,000 by 15 years. I think 50,000, I think. But somehow... Sounds like a lot. By, yeah, but, but somehow by 15 years later, they, they like until today, there are about um, over 30,000 apartments in the cities. And then because um, in, in European countries, it's very different because um, you guys sort of more um, common to live in an apartment within the city's area. And then you have all the lives downstairs with the market and better streets than Melbourne for sure back in the... Um, yeah. And There's this weird true. Australian dream of, of having having to have having, a house and having to have a backyard and having to have a, a pool and it's 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 it feels slightly antiquated like it's like sort of like the 50s the United States 50s suburbia dream hmm. you know and and that's that's transferred to Australia here as well and there's still a lot of people who consider you know success or a great a great home for their families to be that that big piece of land and that you know it's freestanding house and things like that yeah. That's interesting. It's, it's not oh. sustainable. And, and that's, I mean, and even I, I think when you talk to people, yeah, it's research the book as well, like talking to people in London and the US and, and in Australia as well, it, it's, it's um, you know, the construction industry is responsible for a, a huge amount of, um, of, of, of environmental pollution every year. And the whole point is we don't need to keep building new places. Hmm. Um, we don't need to keep spreading further. We can be a lot smarter and a lot, a lot cleverer through the way we choose to live in the inner city and beautiful design makes that a reality. Like actually really thinking about the space and how we can get the most out of it. And never too small is there to celebrate that. 
that's Colin. That's what that's what he's built. I guess that um, Australia and the America or North America are still very close culturally because in Europe um, you do have. I think bigger families, it is the dream to go a little in the suburbs or the suburbs are really close here. It's not like the traditional American or Australian suburb, probably, which is yeah. farther away. But here it's like, I don't know, a 10 minute drive or something in, in most metropoles and to have a house there. But a lot of people own in the cities their their apartments, like even families and, and everything. They're family friendly neighborhoods. But from what you're saying, it's much more. Uh, I like the way you said it, um, 50s America vibe yeah and yeah yep. okay so it's a very different setting and that's that's why the topic always comes up because obviously in the industry it's it's such a ongoing topic since the 80s from from what i understand the whole use what's there enrich enrich the inner city yeah absolutely yeah Oh. Cool. And, and as well, it's, it's well, it's 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 not necessarily don't don't knock something down and build something new in the same spot that's going to house, you know, potentially the same amount of people because it's an incredible waste. Um, there's there's beautiful beautiful um, shells of buildings that with, with 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 you know really well built and you know they may not be the they may not be the ideal floor plan to how we're used to living right now right but they, they were they were the right floor plan for you know when everyone had their own bedroom many years ago but well 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 i guess uh, yeah um in, in one point like when they first started putting back people in here there were so many old buildings that old warehouses which is um have a good structures but you know back in the days people designed the buildings they still have good ventilations at some point so it's easy for them to dissect the older buildings into loft apartments and then what the city councils do here to introduce australian to that kind of apartment living by having this tour every every couple of days they're having this tour bringing people from the suburbs to come to the cities and visit some of the loft apartments that they have in mind so that's really? what happening wow. back in the yeah so they introduce them to the apartment living because we are Australians are so used to the suburban suburbia kind of living lifestyle. Kind of like and an then, urban um, exchange program. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if, if for me to know, like, there's, there's a lot of talk of older, using older buildings, or uh, especially after pandemic, people thinking there are so many empty offices and people can build more apartments. For me, it's a yes and no, because after talking to so many designers, some of the newer building, uh, office building, they're not designed with windows in mind because everything's air conditioning. And then um, that is why it's hard to create uh, ventilations. And then it could be more costly to re redo the, the office building into the apartment than to rebuild the whole thing again. So there's a balance set that we need to consider. As well as um, we also realize that as Melbourne city itself become more expensive and pushing a lot of artists out because Melbourne used to be cheaper and there's more creative people in the city itself. And then they got, they got driven out because there are more apartment buildings being built. The investors just keep buying it. They have overseas investors yeah. buying it and then they drive the price so expensive, the rent so expensive and the creative people move out. And they sort of lower down the vibrancy of the city itself being the creative cities. Melbourne used to have these subcultures of creative people, you know, all these small galleries, they're slowly disappearing. But... And there were creative like, cities on the fringes. There were creative, like the fringes, on the fringes yeah. of the city. There was like Collingwood and Fitzroy and St yeah. Kilda, which are which are all five kilometres out from the central business districts, but were were incredible hubs of of creative energy. 
That's where yeah, even they're not there anymore. Or are they? Sorry. Sorry. They're not there anymore. Even like <laughs> we have a lag. Yeah. Go sure, ahead, Colin. To buy a home, it costs one point five million dollars. Yeah. Yes. So what the cities has a plan to do now um, is after this um, the empty offices building in the city, they sl- they trying to make it affordable again. Welcome the creative people back to the cities, and I think that's brilliant because I think Melbourne does lose its magical touch, which is used to be these subcultures, a lot of art galleries kind of vibes, so disappearing for the last ten years when I live here. So hopefully after after this, they will start bringing the people back. And then we need to create a balance between the creative people, you know, sustainable living, you know, exciting um, footpaths and um, more activities in the cities. Because I do believe city become um, livable when it's vibrant and exciting, you know. Yes. There's no point if you're just having towers of apartments and just apartments everywhere without any kind of creative things going on. It's neat that the, the vibe. Yeah. yeah, that that sort of like hybrid nature of, of, you know, working and living parallel and, you know, raising your kids and maybe having a park. And what I what yeah. one thing I love about the European cities is um, or most of them have really a lot of parks, a lot of, you know, try to create recreational non productive areas. I'm going to call them. I don't yeah. know what the architectural term is. Um, uh, Georgi is the architect. Over here, we call that lazy, lazy land. Oh, lazy land. Okay, that's that takes yeah. it a step further. <laughs> Non-productive sounds even efficient in some way. The, the um, village square as well is something that's you know in in yes, European yes. cities, and it doesn't exist you know in Australia. We no. we try to do it sometimes. I, I've I've seen a um. I've seen the attempt at a village square in Peran, actually, which is a suburb in Melbourne recently, but it's just a, this concrete. It's like it's like they've they've concrete just park. poured concrete to show where the village square starts and oh, ends. Sort of like an empty pool or something like that. It's like an empty pool, and, yeah. and, and in summer, in Melbourne summer can get to like forty, you know, forty-two, forty-three degrees. It's hot. Like there's, there's not people relaxing about it. I think that's one of the things that European cities does so well is that the, the community and the communal spaces. And they sort of seem to happen naturally. It's like when you try to force it, you know, you've got to design around where the people congregate, not try to create the space and hope the people congregate there. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the things I learned from from listening actually actually to, to a lot of our guests and, and from being um, my partner is an architect that you actually have to first look and see what the flow is, be it the flow of light or the flow of people or, or the flow of, you know, the, the natural flow of the air, even if we're talking about ventilation, like you mentioned, Colin. And then you have to sort of use that instead of, imposing it or trying to redirect it which is very much i feel like an 80s and 90s approach to to be it building living uh, planning a city or, or even a, an, an apartment and um yeah you really have to see what's there first yeah. and 10 10 or 15 years ago when the apartments um market is so booming in Australia. The way they market apartments in, in Melbourne is really just like the five-star luxury hotel kind of living. Mm. And then I just find that so absolutely outdated. And now as, as we progress, and I think as public get easy get their hand on information how, how sustainable living is and also more ideas of what a good city should look like. And then they much more appreciate like the modern buildings where you have the, the green facade at, at the front and then what what's the um 
you know, what sort of energies the building is using. And then they, they know how to recognize how a good design apartment should look like. Back in the days, we were, we, we get marketed to this kind of poor um, floor plan design apartments in the city. That's what they have. So um, I think Never Too Small playing important role where we're not only showing how old building can done up beautifully and beautifully and make it livable, but we're slowly introducing how a good apartment building should be designed in the future as well. And then, um, yeah, not, not just offering people uh, swimming pools that you only get used once a week in a small swimming pool that cannot fit even 10 people. I used people, to live in an apartment yeah. like that, Colin. Yeah, and then it, rather it than... Awful. Why don't we just build like a you know, flat garden for people to take their kids upstairs and play or, you know, the dogs to roam around where you can create neighbors. Neighbors can meet neighbors and then they create a connection to community feeling of it. So, yeah. So you really embody. Hopefully we can introduce to our audience in the future as well. So I'm hearing you really embody that whole concept, which you which I have to say you really bring out in the videos really, really well. It's like I recently, actually a few days ago, I saw the newest one on, on, on Paris, which I was like, oh, it's an EU city. That's so, <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> They're usually like, you know, obviously Australia or New Zealand based um, cities from the, the videos that I saw. And it was, it was the Paris flat. And I was actually looking at how you um, produce the videos and how you do the shots. And what I found was really cool was that it's actually very simple. I have the I have the impression that how the videos are. There's nothing like fancy, like we're going to go with a drone and we're going to go up and below. And, you know, I don't know what can can you walk us through like a typical video shoot? Because I've been I've been on like mid-sized advertising shoots in Iceland, which are obviously probably nothing compared to what you do. But wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the whole drone I, thing. I want to hear more about that at some point. <laughs> releases, right? <laughs> it, it was a de- deliberate decisions how I feel never too small, because back in the days and when you look at YouTube, everyone's doing the same thing. You know, everyone loved the the drone shots or the sliding shots or oh, yes, the, the roaming shots. You, everyone get the same, the roaming kits they have. But then when I look at it, I thought they, they all have a good design as well. But if I want to show like the best design on YouTube, I need to catch people's attention. If I do the same thing of me introducing the apartment and then some the architects just walk us around for one round in 20 minutes, I can easily film that in 20 minutes and then I can go home and say bye-bye. But the thing is I'm thinking, like the way I practice my thing is that I have a Chinese idiom. I keep telling myself, you'd rather be a single red flower in a thick green foliage. So oh, people I love notice that. you. That's beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. So I like to do things a bit different, differently, even though it's not massively different, but I just want people to catch people playing never to smile and boom, it's nothing you see on YouTube. And I then love I'm also a lazy person, to be honest. I don't like to carry a lot of gear when I go shooting. Uh-huh. Now we're so, getting to I the core my- of it. <laughs> First, he comes my- with the red flower, and I now. My- <laughs> yeah. And I limit myself with one tripod and one camera and one mic. So I can put everything in my backpack and then I can go. What kind so- of camera do you have? Is it like, huh? what kind of camera do you have? I have like a thousand cameras in mind right now. What oh, you uh, usually we just use our studio camera, which is a C300 Mark II. And occasionally I might use Blackmagic if I go overseas. It's just smaller and then easy to put in my backpack. Oh, okay. And then I can run away if people chase me. Um, yeah. <laughs> which obviously happens <laughs> but, a lot. 
um, yeah, so when I limit myself with that few um, equipment, I have to think of a way, how can I film it class, like, still nicely. So I look at a lot of paintings in galleries. And then uh, in 2014, I, I took a trip to um, London, and then that really inspired me because I saw an artist, I can't remember her name, but she just filmed her house just still for 15 minutes. And I just thought, that's so therapeutic looking at that video. It's just like one shot. That's where my zen comes from. Yes, that's why zen. (laughs) You know what, Desiree, when you said before, you know, they give you a sort of zen, um, and and that's feedback we hear all the time about the videos. And if if there was, you know, as Cole said before, there were zooms and there were dollies and things like that, you wouldn't get that. I got a message today from someone on Instagram saying, I started doing a list of what makes me happy. One of them is your videos. They give me a calmness not even my antidepressants can give. And <laughs> really? It, I didn't see it. Yeah, wow. yeah, it's on Instagram, Cole. You'll be able to see it. I'll but I'll it, it. <laughs> I, that's something we hear all the time about people. And it's it's not because we're necessarily shooting anything, um, you know, revolutionary or anything like that. It's just the fact that Cole's made a deliberate decision to make these still and let the apartment be the hero and... Yeah. You don't see a lot of that. You see a lot of, hey, yo, my name is Mikey, subscribe here and, and, and you know. It's, yeah, or it's the higher end now. stuff. Yeah, with the, with <laughs> yeah. like you say, the pans and, and I don't know, we, we're going to roll it there and then we're going to zoom out of there and then we're going to do a half, you know, half curve shot and um, yeah. And, yeah. I, I, I and the reality is there's often not enough room to really do those big movies anyway. They're, they're yeah, they're small sub apartments. 50 square, yeah. Sub 50 square meters. It's how much it's the actually, there's still shots. Actually, there's still shots for a small place. It's actually quite hard to create, to be honest. But then yeah. I guess um, by, by looking at that video, I realized that I put so much attention to the details of the room. And in a way, when we do that, like still shot, people tend to appreciate the design more. And we have to do justice for the designer's work. We cannot like put ourselves the front saying how much good camera skill we have because if we want to do, we really can do it because of a video agency. But then it's to have the respect, respect put back to the designers and really showcasing their videos with just a simple composition but well, wellly framed. And um, it's like looking through a photographer's eye who's doing architecture's photography but in the video form. And then you can see the models come in, open the cupboard and walk off. There's nothing fancy yeah. there. Yeah, and you do have the one pan with the when the cabinets are open. It's like you have the clothes yeah. and then they have the open, yeah. which is also very, very calm. I like the word calm too. Yeah, it's it, it's very calm. It, it does. It does. Um, I love the way you're saying it. it the f- architecture photography meets a moving image format. You can't even call it a video, yeah. really. It's actually like bringing those two. Do, it's those a moving two image. Yeah. yeah. It's a combining of the two, I guess. And then, um, yeah, and then the music, I deliberately choose slow music because when I watched that video, happened to be that time I was really into Philip Glass music. So the two combined clash and then we get Never Too Small Style. So Never Too Small Style, we for the first episode to, the, to what now, it's actually really evolved a little bit. We get more about the neighborhood story into it because I realized that neighborhood plays such an important role um, of the interior design as well as the building history itself. And um, so we're slowly adding up those shots into the stories that we create and then get the audience a bit more richer experience when they watched it. Even though we can't tell every single detail of the stories, but 
they still yeah. get the idea, the gist out of it. And uh, it's a combining of storytelling, a bit of entertainment value, which is the calm effects and then relaxing thing. I call it entertainment value. And then uh, at the end of the day, when you watch it, it's like you're listening to a really um, nice Philip Glass music, and you come come out, and then you start back to the reality. So it's like an escapism in a way, and then back to the reality. And then yeah. you see beautiful architecture and interior design too. Of course, yeah. <laughs> so that yeah. calm calms yeah. you too, yeah. So what kind and of and then skill? you get the knowledge out of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. What kind of skills did you like? Where you say you learned, which you brought to the um, Never Too Small project, and what skills are are you? Do you see that you've evolved through Never Too Small? Uh, in, in what way? Sorry, Desiree. Um, either in video editing, or that you looked at, I don't know, the the um, the project in a more holistic way. Um, how have you? How have your skills evolved through the journey in the last few years? Well, I, I'm not from any kind of interior architecture background, but throughout the these four years making Never Too Small, I, I learned quite a lot from the designer architects themselves. But of course, I, I do read some books and watch more design videos and stuff. And uh, in terms of um, the skill evolved in Never Too Small video itself. I think we, we slowly, we, we will still continue making um, design videos like the Never Too Small episodes, but eventually I want to sort of transfer what I learned along the way meeting all these different designers and architects into a more educational videos. And then hopefully in the future, I want to create videos that can teach people how to design their small spaces through the architects and interior design designers themselves, like really through them instead of me telling you know the, the the audience what to do and what i learned but it's more through i'm taking them a journey with me in it and then we we're going to meet the designer architects and then we talk about design and then maybe we i have a, i always have in mind of i want to make a video about revisit some of the old design that's really popular and then get the architects to really dissect the design process from step one to the finished oh, product yeah. Because I'm sure design does, doesn't like come for the first draft and then you get a finish. It's more like through a couple of drafts and then what sort of problem they have when they, 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 they build this tiny apartment and then how they answer the client's brief and also how the architects charge or what's the benefit of getting an interior designer architect involved in renovating your apartment. Because I think a lot of audience, they keep saying they don't know what architects can do. If if you watch the video, you can do it yourself. Why do you hire an architect? That's also the conversation well, I would like to have. As soon as you have to tear down a wall, I don't know. I'm a little iffy about doing it myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you're you're you've gone um, away from video in, in in the past year, or not away? You've branched out into publishing. I saw, and this is actually a rather new development. When did your so you brought out a book? Period. Let's let's let that you know sink in. How did that happen? How? Why? I let Joe <laughs> the stage. No, come, Joe. Have you always wanted to do a book? Because I've always wanted to publish some kind of pretty book. <laughs> I yeah. I mean, I, I it was it was not on my bucket list actually, but. Um, we got approached by a, a publisher called uh, Smith, Smith Street Publishing, which is a uh, shout out to Paul McNally, which is um, based in Collingwood, which is a bit of a creative hub in Melbourne. And, um, you know, he came and chatted to us and said, hey, some of, the, some of you know, what you do would make a, a wonderful book. And um, I, I was newly just working with the, the team at that point and 
you know, and, and it was something I know that Cole had had. I, I, I don't know. It was your bucket list, wasn't it, Cole? Like you had, you wanted, you yeah. wanted to be your book to be in the Tate Modern Museum at some point. I don't think you were yeah. ever. Wow, ever that's a, that's a very small that. goal you got there. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, Paul approached us in um, February 2020, but in November 2019, I was in Tate Modern. I actually went there every year, end of year, and then I, I, I went to their gift. Well, their gift shop. They call the gift shop. You know the yeah, souvenir yeah. shop they have. Right? Yeah. And then I look at all these architecture books. I'm like. I really want to have one day have a never too small book here and boom, February, he approaches. And then uh, when, when we have the first cup of coffee, sit together and then Paul, they ask, you know, what, what, what do you want to get out of it? And I say, and I say, if we would like to have a book published and I say only if you promise me, we're going to have a copy in Tate Modern and then just do whatever we, we need to, to get the book out. So we're working on getting so, a copy in Tate Modern. That's what I'm hearing right now. Yeah, well, we, we, we're gonna we're just gonna travel there and slip one in. We might even send you on Desiree. You're a bit closer to us. So we'll, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I heard Cole. I heard Cole. You know his enthusiasm for it, and I love making beautiful things, and I love writing as well. So I said, you know, I have to I have to write that book. I really want to write it. And, um, I, I'd been working you know, on, on the website and, you know, just writing long form Instagram, articles for, yeah. for the site and, and, and looking after the digital media. Um, and, and I knew I wanted to write that book. So I, I, I said, yeah, put, put my hand up and um, let's start working on it. And, and about, about a quarter of the way in, I realized, because, and, and one of the things with the, the book Desiree is it, it goes, it's not just a, um, you know, it's not just a photographic coffee book. It really goes into the neighborhoods and it really it tries to understand mm you know, what, what the designers, I guess, what they walked in, what they, they saw from a shell of an apartment, what their journey was from going from, okay, this is a, a place that can be transformed. And, and as you said before, you know, there's available light here and there's there's um, there's airflow here. And, and, you know, how do they create the perfect space using what's actually not a whole lot of stuff, but, you know, they turn it into something that's really livable. And so we, we and, and also, you know, as Cole's touched on before, like the neighbourhood, like what's the actual historical context of how this building came to be and, and why is it, you know, in a, in a bit of a zeitgeist right now for this place to be a beautiful, you know, home for the residents and the community for people as well. So it really explores in detail all those aspects. As I got more and more into it, I need to really shout out my, my colleague and co-writer here, Liz. I, I went, there's, there's too much to write here. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of information here. And so Liz, very kind, who was part of the New McPherson team as well, jumped in and, and wrote half of it for me. We split the book up and, and we, how, we how many pages, how many pages is it? Oh, it's, uh, I've, I've got I it. saw I've on got Instagram, it it's thick. I mean, yeah, it's, it is thick. Oh, okay. Oh, that's nice. Both of both have the books by their side. <laughs> And are now 295, 295, oh, wow. um, you know, with detailed floor plans and, and detailed stories around every apartment, like, you know, and, and, and it's interesting as well, like some of the stories, for me, the buildings that they live in are actually more interesting than the actual apartment. Like, I don't know if you know the Barbican building in mm. in London, which is a, a, a no. brutalist, it's, it's a, it's a, um, it was one an experimental of, one of, project. Yeah, experimental yeah. project, but it houses three thousand people. It's actually the biggest in the city of London. It houses um, the majority of the city of London's residents in that one building. Wow! But it's 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 so divisive that building because a lot of people absolutely hate it. Um, but people who live there and people who like brutalist architecture, and a lot of creators absolutely love it. It's actually one of the hottest tickets in in all of London to get an apartment there. There's mm -hmm. a waiting list and. 
Mm. And you get I the key to, to the barbican and bar bar barbican or barbican? Yeah. Bar. Barbican. It's, it's my it's yeah. my accent. It's yeah, B A R B I C it's a barbican. <laughs> oh, um if don't get me started on I'll I don't want to start American slanging on my accent would probably be the same. So B A R B I C A N. It's um, Ah, okay. I have to check that. We'll um we'll put that in the links. Um but brutalist architecture, yeah. Wow. But yeah, for, so for that, that like the, I love that yeah. building too, Cole. It's so beautiful. <laughs> and for me, the story was as much about that actual building as you know, even more so than the the apartment within. So in writing that yeah. book, you know, I guess my journalist background really allowed me to identify the story for every single apartment, as yeah. opposed to just a traditional coffee table book, which is just like. You know, you walk Pictures. in the door and you see this and you see that. And I think that's it's why. A, I it's such an interesting um, complex because you, you have a concert hall in there as well. And then you have schools, music schools. And then in the middle, they have like a long, like a water pond in the middle with um, plants growing on it. And then they have like private gardens and then they have cafeterias. They have the bridge. Yeah. The theater and the, the concert hall. Yeah. And then they have the bridge that connect the two sides of the buildings together. So yeah. it's really you, you have to check it out. <laughs> so it's really basically taking taking what we said before with Australia with um, creating spaces that are more hybrid into a much smaller space into this. Yeah, so, ooh. absolutely. And right underneath the uh, the building is actually a tunnel for the for the cars. Ah, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow, cool. I have to check that out. And it's just grey concrete. It's it's like classic brutalist in that it's but but it's so interesting to look at. So how long mm. did it, because I, I imagine if I would dig into that whole, because what you're saying is that you're looking for connections also between the spaces and where they are and the apartment and the interior and also the bigger picture. I would fall down every rabbit hole endlessly. I would, it would probably take yeah. years to write that book. How long did it take you to get all this together and, you know, put, put it, a package for the publisher? It, it took Liz and I about... Um, I think a good six months during lockdown, like Melbourne was in lockdown last year, so there wasn't a lot of stuff to do other than, than write books at night, right? I six was months is time. not a lot, right? I mean, 295 yeah. pages, you have to go and probably take the pictures again because you can't, you know, and, screenshot and the video. And that's where Lindsay, or... who we were talking about, Lindsay, Lindsay came in. Um, like she'd, never, she'd never worked on a book before, but she's, she's um, never too small video producer, but... She jumped in and she chased down the releases from the architects and she got the architectural photos and all those things. So she you was... Get all the floor plans, redraw. Um, so she just left... Time. Yeah. I, we read as we, we got all the floor plans like, and, and, you know, architects use many different styles of doing their floor plans. Yeah, yeah. We got I, all I've the floor them, plans. Yeah. We, we created them all in a uniform style and all to scale as well. So, we, we, you know, we you, you go through the human figuring in there just so you get an idea how big the space is. And then we make sure wow. if the, the place, the picture's got a dog, we put a dog in there. So they put a cat in there. You know, if you know the owner's got a cat, we put a cat in the floor plan as well. You we know, went back and forth over what the right figure postures were and whether or not yeah. they should be crossing their legs or leaning back or how many figures we should put in. And it was it was so much. Yeah, yeah, very detailed yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. And then so cool. and then we had that moment right at the end. We realised some things weren't the scale, so we got everything back in the scale. And it was well, I learned so much during that. Um, and what are some... I think what I learned. Sorry, Joel. Sorry, go ahead. I think some of the things I learned more than anything else is that I want to do it again. I want to keep doing it because it was, it was nothing like receiving a, a hard copy at the end. 
Oh, yeah, I saw that. Did you that. cry? Mean, did you, cry? <laughs> <laughs> you can tell. I, you can tell. I, I, I cried. <laughs> and there's, and there's, yeah, of course. Colin, did you and there's cry? There's nothing like having people send videos like like on Never Too Small's Instagram, showing them receiving the book and opening it up and and knowing that you're sitting in someone's living room there and it's such a it's such a wonderful wonderful feeling. Uh, you're making me all all touchy feely now too. I'm a very sensitive person. I'm like sitting here going like <laughs> as if it were my book. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, and you know what? My, yeah, you could tell your mom. Is, yeah. My you could tell your mom that the books is available in Waterstone in London now. <laughs> uh, you know what? I I, I yeah to, to just get a little bit more touchy feely as well. Like my my dad passed away late last year, and he oh, um, he knew I was making this book and. He was very proud of me, and I got to send it to my mum, and she opened it. And here's a tear bit. She was, she was like, oh, "Oh my god, your dad would have loved this so much. He would have sat there, and he would have had a huge smile on his face as he read it." And I don't know, it's something tangible, and you put out in the world, and it makes me feel wonderful. It shows how much important the tangible and and the book as as is is because if you think about it, producing a video, bringing people together, creating pictures, digital pictures. Uh, whatever whatever the motive is also a huge achievement in itself and to have all these followers or or, or, or this huge audience well, and then you have make a book and it's suddenly the audience, to be honest different. right joe absolutely yeah, yeah. The i audience mean audience is the most that's what we we are here for is our audience to be honest without them there's no never too small for sure and now yeah we do have some really supportive audience that's always there for us and then when the books come out, they're so well received, and then you know, so well received, and and and, yeah. and 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 people have been so kind and so supportive, and and they send the loveliest messages, and mm. it's it's just it's it's and and you know we do write a message in the in the in the book just saying, you know, without without the 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 you know the first hundred people who sort of liked what this guy in Melbourne was putting up on YouTube, and then. You know, without obviously the critical mass that followed, none of this would be would none of this be real. I don't want to get too Oscars speech here, but it's um, you know, it's this this is it is a it's a love le- it is a love letter to our audience to say thank you for thank you for the support and here's something beautiful that you can actually here's a piece of never too small that you can have in your in your living room and, and keep forever. So yeah. you mentioned um, a few things that you learned from from publishing the book. What were some of the most difficult things that I don't know. People just don't think about when they think about publishing a book because you—it sounds so romantic in a way. You write and you take a year off and you send it to the publisher and then it goes out. Period. Oh, yeah, so that's what a it's really like, right? For, for me, uh, <laughs> Colin, you'll have your own views on this. For me, it was, um, you know, having actually worked with an editor whose job it is to make it successful and and readable, and you think you can write well, but then having, you know, an editor, you know, comment on your doc saying. This is, um, what does she say? What was the word Talia used a lot with me? Um, uh, it's like verbose, flowery. Um, oh, like, <laughs> yes, uh, yes. And, and, and you, re- you read it again and you're like, what the hell was I thinking writing that? That's the worst writing ever. <laughs> like, it's, it's, and this coming a from real... a journalist, everybody. This coming from an actual writing pro. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But that like that, that editing process was, was um, it, was, it was thrilling and I loved it, but it was hard. Um, 
you know, because there were big sections which needed a rewrite, and you sort of like you've you've written that chapter, you've put it to bed, you've you, you know you've had your baby, you've put it out in the world, and then it comes back to you, and it's like it needs to be better, and you've got to look at it and look at a story in an entirely different way again. Yeah, and, that's you know and, takes and, it, and reconfigure it. The ego takes yeah, a bit of it. a hit hit too, doesn't yeah. it? Especially if you come from a writing profession, was there like a thought like, oh, I suck at my job, or I don't know. I've, I've, I'm not I've, as good I've, as I've I thought. Imposter syndrome. <laughs> I've, got, I've got as much imposter syndrome as any other creative. So yes, of course. Like Okay. Yes. So that was tough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but uh, you know, Liz, Liz, who I co-wrote the book with um, and, and came in to, to, to make sure that we got it done was an exceptional person to bounce things off. And she was very, also very generous. She was like, I love how you write, Joel. And I'm, you know, I feel really lucky to be part of this. So, I, you know, she made me feel good about it as well as doing a lot of the heavy lifting to actually get it done. Um, you know, I, I think I learned I, I learned a lot about my own creative process around when I when I'm at my best, and and um, you know, to to hark back to one of my favourite authors, Ernest Hemingway, it was just like just get up and write, just start writing, and it will end up coming to you. And it's so true. You know, I, I procrastinate as much as any other creative out there, um, but you just got to get started. <laughs> Did you develop a routine too, like six hours a day? I'm going to write starting at eight a.m. or whatever yeah it was look i was working you know like i said my, my business got acquired like Accenture, so i was working full-time during the day in that business and at night i was writing these chapters and oh wow okay. I'd, I'd be writing till one two o'clock in the morning and depending on sometimes it would absolutely flow and i'd you know try to get to a story a day um other times it would be you know i've, I've got to go to bed now but, but so, don't want to be so a bit cheesy right joe if you're doing something that you like you don't feel it as bad but you still night, need sleep don't you you had six months I mean, basically where you had no sleep right that's what it yeah, sounds like i, I mean I, mix, throw all that in throw in with all that just right homeschooling as well like our kids as uh, the schools are all shut down in melbourne so we're homeschooled it was just a bit of a chaotic time in melbourne at the time it was it was a bit of a scary time as well it was you know it was our first lockdown no one quite knew exactly what was going to happen with with covid and you know i was working all day writing at night and yeah, it was it was it was intense, but we got it. But we got it done. What was another thing, um, Colin, that you say you learned through publishing the book compared to video and and moving images and digital? Well, I'm mostly involved in the floor plan design and choosing the apartments for the book. And um, yeah, so what do I learn? I've learned pretty much the same thing with Joe, I guess, because um, when Joe's talking to Talia the first couple of times, I was in the talk as well and realized that you need to have a unified voice in all the articles that you write. And um, I guess I'm learning a lot from creating floor plan because, um, you know, how to scale things that at first we thought is not as important, but come back to be really important. And we have to re rejuggle everything and re refix everything again. And also the decision of whether to put a human figure in the floor plan or not. And most of the people saying, oh, you don't need it. Just have a normal floor plan like the architects provide. But then we realized that if to put a few figure in it, sometimes one person, sometimes two person, it creates life within the floor plan. It becomes like more like an artwork. And then Joe's quite oh, good uh, of having the figure as well. And then some, sometimes we have people reading on the sofa. But when you look at the human figure, you know how big the place is because sometimes floor plan doesn't do any kind of um, really good, give you a good judgment of how, how, the, how big the space is, but the figuring would and little things like this. Yeah. So your dimensional more, more thinking. More than anything else, Desiree, for me, it's like the biggest thing I learned was like, say yes to stuff. If, if somebody asked me in, in 2019, do you think you would have published a, a book on 
you know, small footprint sustainable architecture, I, I would have said, well, that's obviously ridiculous. But I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I said, yeah. I'm so glad I put my hand up and said, I actually really want to do this. And yeah, there were, there were hard times, but most of it was amazing. And I'm so, so proud. I'm so proud of, of it. It so makes me happy a second book is on it. the way, probably. <laughs> because you're yeah. still in lockdown. So, I mean, <laughs> and you're coming on full time, Joel. So you have time, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And my kids think I'm cool. One of my kids told somebody the other day on, on one of their Zoom classes, my dad's a writer. And I was like, yeah. I'm a writer. Oh, that is so cool. That makes you proud of yourself too, like in a completely yeah. new way. It's like, forget yeah. the imposter syndrome. My kid yeah. thinks I'm Superman. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. That is so cool. Um, I was thinking um, before when, um, Colin, when you mentioned, you know, starting with Never Too Small and I don't know, and, and we've talked about things that were difficult in publishing and what I love to talk about, which a lot of creatives don't want to talk about is what are the things that they failed at and what are the things that one or two things that both of you where you say this is where I really failed along the way and this is what I learned from it because that's something nobody ever shares really I mean I mean like the real honest to truth I mean there's failing like oh I am I'm a perfectionist you know the usual things you say but what are what is one thing where you say that just didn't work and do you have anything? I, I guess, um, yeah, I couldn't think about that one for a bit. Um, it's not that we're successful all the way. There are so many things that um, I tried and didn't work out um, in terms of how I would like to sort of create more content for TikToks, which I did a few, and then I just thought it's not quite the right audience for us. And um, that, that's not really any major mistake so far just yet. Um, yeah, and then uh, I, I wish I, I would um, put more, give more love to the audience at the beginning of, of the channel for the first year because t the first year I totally ignored the audience because I just came to YouTube. Before that, I never made any sort of YouTube channels before, so it was a totally new experience for me. How and are then, you? Uh, oh, so, sorry? Sorry, how are, you, how are you connecting with the audience now? What are you doing different after the first year? What's the difference? So I guess... Um, we, 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 we get more involved in um, getting the audience, our viewers, to make the decision together with us in terms of choosing the thumbnails. We will put a community post on YouTube and then let us let, let them help us to choose. And oh, also, okay. Joe did a really good um, Instagram managing um, the post on Instagram as well. And then uh, also, I'm trying to reply as many comments as I can on YouTube from especially those who compliment us or show their support and saying, I'll watch your video for how long? And then, uh, and also a lot of fan mails that I get oh, um, okay. through LinkedIn or my Facebook page. And then also sometimes <laughs> I don't know where to get a private People outside his home, people <laughs> waving in from the street at his balcony. <laughs> yeah. I think we've, we've, we've no, really lifted time. Cole's profile over the last, um, over the last few months as well. I think, for a while, Never Too Small was just a, a bit of a, a faceless brand. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, a lot of Cole's friends and, and, you know, close people close to his circle knew what he was doing. They were very supportive. But I think there was a bit of a conscious decision over the last few months to really let people know that there's a, you know, a person behind this. Throw me person. out there. Now I'm yeah. exposed. <laughs> well, every, every brand needs a figurehead, right? And what a wonderful figurehead Coco Chi makes. 
Well, because <laughs> in the end, it's like you said, you live from your audience, and that's a person-to-person -person relationship, actually, or it should be. And um, you have to, yeah, I think that's one of the things also that creatives are very timid about, to put themselves out there with a face. And I don't know this from myself. Um, I'm very... I'm totally on behind the scenes and working and being, you know, forward pushing. And then it's like, oh, why don't you um, be part of this interview on this topic? And I'm like, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know well, all this stuff. Can I'm I give it to you in to, writing? I'm trying to like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to like keep telling myself I'm in the same boat as my audience because we all live in the small spaces. Yeah. And then I represent them to go and seek for the answers, the question they have. So I'm trying to put myself together with the audience. So I'm just take the lead, help them to find the answers they want. The, the uh, yeah. So that's how I keep telling myself, you know. I'm yeah, you're credible too. The audience. Also, it's it's Be if we look at it strategically, it's about they believe you because you you're actually. I mean, listening to you talk just shows that you're in the topic of small space living and small footprints and and. Um, Yes, yeah, so and I, I live in one. Yes, and you live <laughs> in one. Obviously, we're still waiting yeah. for the house tour. <laughs> <laughs> to answer about your you, question about, about failure, Desiree, for me, um, I'm highly conscious of the fact that I'm doing things right now creatively that in five years' time I'm going to look back at and go, "Oh God, what were you thinking?" Because that's been yeah. that's been the one consistent through my entire career. I look back at the first website I ever designed, and it makes me shudder. And I look back at the first video I ever made, and I'm like, what am I thinking? And there, there's, uh, there's failures along the way, right? And, and some, of them, some of them you don't even know they're failing at the time. Some of them you think they're, they're, they're good. Some of them you think they're not. Um, there haven't been any shoes like, you know, get out of the building, that's a horrible thing or anything that I'm deeply ashamed of. But I'm also aware of the fact that, you know, as a creative, you're constantly improving. And if you're not, then what are you doing, right? Like you're getting better at what you do. So you always look back and you always go, oh, my God, I've come so far. But the bit that really kills me <laughs> the bit that, that kills me is like knowing right now the things I'm doing I'm going to look back at in five years time and go oh bit cringy and I, that's but I think that's uh, humbling hard. isn't it isn't it humbling to just because usually you're in the moment and you're like oh I'm doing this this is so awesome I am yeah. so awesome I totally got this so actually yeah. actually what you're doing is you're humbling yourself and preparing yeah. yourself for feedback then to yourself that's right. Improve my guess. Well, at least um, I guess for me always, I, I always have this thought of because I get asked the same question, the, the failure. And then I always think of the worst failure is I never try. And then I never try. I fail. At least I try. If I fail means that I try. So it's not. But it's bad. easier said than done, right? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So I do try many things for never too small. It didn't work like our Facebook page didn't work. Not didn't work, but not 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 as as vibrant as it should be or more activities as it should be. And um, yeah, little things like this. But for me, if you, if, if anyone that's really failing is the one that never tried. And yes, if you try true. and know how to fix it and then you get it right. Yeah. And then, yeah, for me, it's just, it's just a learning process. So a lot, a lot of things. Uh, yeah. Joel, you mentioned that um, you built a company and um, you, you sold it to Accenture, which who, whoever doesn't know Accenture, they're a big um, digital consulting company, I, I would say. I yep. think I would put them under that umbrella. And so you must have transitioned from a completely different role that you had at, you said Loud and Scream was the name? Loud and Clear. Loud, Loud and, clear, and Clear, yeah. To yeah. what you're doing at Never Too Small now. How, how was from where to where did you go 
and how how did that yeah. feel in a way because that sounds intense it's 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 it's, it's a yeah, good question it's a lo- it's a long story i'll try to condense it for you um so I'm, I'm still at accenture at this point as well like we're we're in a um you know, I'm, I'm still an employee there. So we, we grew our business um, to 180 people in Australia. We became Australia's largest um, independent digital agency. Um, we were acquired by Accenture three years ago. And um, and I, I guess for me, Never Too Small is, is the thing that offsets that mass corporation and, you know, high enterprise digital transformation work that I do and allows me to be purely creative and and really fill my bucket, you know, for one of the better. It is a startup, right? Startup, we can experiment with anything that we want at the moment. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, I I, I, I jump on the the weekly with, with the never too small crew, and I feel yeah, I feel my creative bucket filled. And and without that, you feel young again. <laughs> <laughs> but Colin Joel no. is young. <laughs> <laughs> we're all young we're all young, young at heart um, I yeah no it just it, it makes me happy it makes me happy Colin you know the team the team never too small team is so wonderful and so excited and and we're doing something we're doing something that an audience laps laps up just absolutely loves and it makes them calm and it makes them feel good and we're educating people and we're we're talking a message of sustainability and and you know, really a brighter day. We know what the construction industry does from a, a, a environmental point of view. Something that actually, you know, inspires people and creates a better world. And it makes me, it, yeah, it fills my cup. It goes to show and, how important also, a mission is. If, if you don't mind, exactly. I also want to shout out to our like the international um, film crews that we're working with. And um, yeah, without them, there there wouldn't be any episodes in Paris or you know. Ah, in, so in you Italy. don't go yourself um, to, no, to Paris. Somebody does that for we you. We used okay. to. We used to Desiree. We used um, to, yeah. COVID. Yeah, we, yeah, we that makes sense. We couldn't travel. Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. think about that. Yeah. So you so might have we, noticed uh, a period where there was a, a few more Australian episodes for a while. Yes, um, I actually thought. I actually thought um, it was a purely Australian focus for a while. Well, there was a Brazilian episode, I think, or Mexico. There's been Argentina. Argentina. There's been. Spain, there's been Spain, no, 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 France, Italy, oh, a few in Italy, Italy yeah. and France, couple in France, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, so, London used to be, be prior to lockdown, it used to be like mostly May going filming around, yeah, and um, traveling to Italy and UK and stuff like that. But after lockdown, we just stuck here, we can't go anywhere, and then um, even the city itself is locked down. So, what we have to do is we have to change our strategy on how to produce more episodes to our audience. So what we do is starting to develop another format, which is it's still never too small a style. It's still interviewed by me. So uh, it's still my vision because what we do is we will find the right design. Let's say I find this apartment today and the architects um, agree to do it. And what we do is I will send the architects my questions. So the architects will fill in for me my questions. So by looking at the answers and then I would draw the floor plan of the apartment and start placing cameras. So using my imagination what the apartments look like. So I place the cameras and number them from one to thirty two shots. And then ah. uh, I would write the script very detailed short list to the camera guy saying shot one is white lens 
pointing out from the living room towards the kitchen where the models walks in the shot, opening the cupboards and walks away, hold for 30 seconds. All these single shots are there, very detailed and what lens being used, what height, and then everything details is sent, we write it. And on the filming day, the videographer will set up the cameras and then he will use either the mobile phone or the laptop. And I will ask the question through like this. We use either ah, Google okay. Meet yeah. or, we, uh, or WhatsApp call. So I will ask, so the architect's still looking at me. So we have the interview session like that. And I usually go for an hour. And then after that, the videographer will start um, filming the shortlist with the shortlist. And of course, exterior shots is um, I, I would write certain things that I want, but it's up to the videographer to interpret how the exterior shots looks like the neighborhood because they know the neighborhood they are yeah. from there. So they would choose the best represent street for the neighborhood. And that's how we bring it back to Melbourne. And then we have our marvelous editor, Jess, or sometimes me, and then we will put the episodes together. And then uh, we'll do, um, and then Lindsay or Luke, our producer, would write the description for the episode. And then um, Joe will do the beautiful Instagram posts, Instagram stories. And then we would choose, we would all sit down together and choose the thumbnail for each episode. So it's very delicate and detailed process to create one episode. How yeah, long does it take? It's a long take? process as well. Yeah, how long is that process um, from, yeah. From, from finding the apartment? Yeah, to, to having everything, you know, to, uploaded. Um, it, it, it kind of varied because um, back in the days, it's only either me or our producer, Lindsay, doing the research for the apartment. So it's much harder for us. Now we involve another researcher who is also a big fan for Never Too Small, who contacted me and just wanted to have a conversation with me. She's from New Zealand. Her name Shout is Lucy. Shout out to Lucy. Yeah, Lucy. <laughs> and um, she, also wrote a book. <laughs> she also wrote a book. Um, yeah, she has written a book. Yeah. And um, so um, it's so much easier now with her doing all the research. And then she would compile like a list of 40 apartments. And then I would look at those designs and then whether, see whether this one's suitable or not. And then uh, if suitable, uh, Lucy will contact the architects or the designers, see whether they are interested to participating in our filming, our series. And then if they say yes, and they will start sending the answers and the questions and also um, other questions that we have. And then we have to organize with the owners of the apartment or people who live in it to get access to the apartment. And then we will start looking for, for our overseas team. And now we now have a really couple good um, overseas team members like Alessandro from Italy and then Ellen from Hong Kong and then Fernando in Argentina and then uh, Michael in Sydney and Simon in um, New Zealand who, who's already worked with me a couple of times so they kind of see my vision. So um, I'm, I'm quite like confident with them seeing what I see because if you do a couple of times, never too small, it's kind of the same format. Yeah, but yeah. But it's a different design. You have a like so process look, that just yeah. is repeated, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of lucky I didn't put myself in front of the camera before that. So if, <laughs> if I did, then it's hard to achieve what we achieved today. So that's how we do each episode. But how so, much, yeah. what time frame the, is that? Is that like six how weeks? How long in or? terms of, it, it, it could take from like six weeks to, once we get the episode filmed, uh, it usually takes us about two weeks to put it together, including um, some new selections, description and in Instagram posts and the articles on websites that um, Joe writes. Yeah. 
the thumbnail descriptions uh, meetings are some of the most exciting meetings on the calendar. There's really heavy, heavy debate. Can you expand oh, yeah. on that? What what's so? Wait, just just well, so I understand, thumbnail description is. Oh, just thumbnail. So, so you, YouTube—it's—it's—it's yeah. it's, it's, it's essentially when somebody jumps onto YouTube and they're scrolling through their feed yeah. and they choose either yes or no. And we, you know, our audience who subscribe to us, we know that they'll see what we do and they'll like it, or it will come into their flow eventually. But you know, it's also about growing an audience and making sure that you know the first, um, the first thing you show of yourselves is interesting and attractive, right? So, the. And there's so much there's so much research and opinion out there around what exactly makes a great thumbnail and like what makes that great entry point. Is it showing a person in the apartment? Is it showing a really visually popping part of the apartment? For example, the Parisian apartment that we just that you just saw recently. It's yeah. got this really bold blue room in there. But um, what we know is that people who necessarily see the blue room get excited might not be the right people who engage with the content. They might just go, "Oh, that's an interesting blue room." They'll want to skip ahead to the blue room. So, how do we find that? That, that image, that single image that shows what we do, what we're about, shows something about the content inside and if somebody it's clicks on it, the cover it, shows album. Enough, yeah. yeah, it shows enough of the promise of what they will see so that they actually stick out and watch the entire thing and hopefully engage with us further. So Crazy it's, how nitty gritty that is. I mean, you think I'm just going to shoot a video, I'm going to edit it. Of course, it has to have a cover image and everything, but... I mean, we're talking about a thumbnail in, 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 yeah. the, in, the, in the results. It's, okay, continue. <laughs> I'm, I'm enthralled. And, and, you know, and, and the, the, there's tests we're running um, on, you know, exactly. Do thumbnails work better if they've got a person in them? Do they work better without a person? Is it better to show the outside of the building, the inside of the building? Is it better to show a lot of color, a little bit of color? And, and it's not just about getting somebody to click because you actually have to make content that people engage with. And YouTube's algorithm will punish you if people click on it and then they actually don't want to watch it anymore it, youtube will actually say okay well you're tricking people into watching it so there's all these things you got to balance like show the promise of what can be but also deliver the promise of, of what you've shown as well and then there's things around the headline as well do you show the square meters up front do you show the city location do you show um do you show never the, too small the name of the itself. apartment do you put never too small in front and it's 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 enthralling i think we've probably done as much research as anyone else has out there around what yeah. works and what doesn't work and yeah. and i guess you're and recently we started we recently we started involve our audience to to make the decision for choosing the thumbnail for us we will choose the best two and sometimes the best four where we can we have the heated argument we don't know which one to choose we, we just throw it back to the audience and let the audience that's have the voice so they we feel like they are part of the team as well in a way that's, that's cool. such a big learn for us as well, Desiree. It's like yeah. there is there's a group of 1.8 million people out there who are passionate about what we do, and sometimes we've just got to put our opinions and our ego to the side and ask them. And mm. we get you know like our new product range around some of the some of the things we're bringing to our, our e-com store. You know, at the moment we're only selling the book, but there's other things that we know our audience is hungry for. Like why why go away and try to invent or or. <laughs> what yeah. you think people do but there's an audience there who will actually tell you and so we've been doing a lot more of that like yeah, what, color, I guess, what colors do you like what sort of brands do you want to see like all those things we want to show the appreciation that we 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 really value our audience as well because of them that's never too small so sometimes the creative decision we make sometimes it's nice to involve them as well it's more like a democratic so they feel part of 
you know being heard of as well from us not that we never we totally ignore them they not they doesn't exist so it's nice to involve them as part of the community because really a lot of them are just like me who's who's wanting to who have an aspiration to live in a smaller space or already live in a smaller space and really buy into what never too small is trying to advocate in a way about how small living works in a growing cities yeah and i guess when your community trusts you and they know what kind of topics you are really at your heart and what your mission is then they they're engaged more right because yeah. i can say from our perspective we're um, how old are we now? I think one and a half years approximately. And one of the biggest challenges we have is how do we grow our community, not from an audience, but actually into a community. And how do we do that? And we also have to say, okay, we have to engage more. We have to in include them more. But what a lot of people forget is when they want to launch brands or projects like like the ones that you um, you have as well with with Never Too Small is it takes a lot of time. And Colin, you said it. You have like a whole team behind it. You have um, you have Lindsay that's helping, or I think Lucy. You said um, her name was who's helping, and and um, you two are both two people and and not just one. And it takes a lot a lot of time with all the little details, and all the details are super important. And that's what I'm hearing also from you. You're saying. Joel and I think this is also probably the experience you bring from from your agency from that whole digital huge world that you've been in before what details do we have to pay attention to and actually take time for because you mentioned thumbnail nail meetings there are meetings for that I don't know how many people are on that call deciding that is that the whole team of four or five people or I think it's like yeah, five, six, seven. Sometimes there's, there's yeah. a couple of people from New McPherson Agency who jump on as well. So it's um yeah, they're robust discussions, and you know what, you <laughs> actually don't discussions. ever get as better an answer as you do from the audience. You know when you ask them, <laughs> and, and it was actually only recently that we were all like, oh, I like I like number two, and I like number three, and I think this one's really good. And it's like you know what, why don't we ask our audience? And yeah, the answers actually came back very very concisely around one like it was it was like one 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 like uh, you know Cole, that's the one we did yesterday as well yeah yeah that's right yeah, yeah. that's the one it was yeah. like I, I, I didn't see that one that wasn't one that i liked at all i was not backing that one in i think i think what i got from my agency was you know we, we were a creative digital agency and that was the the beauty plays a plays a very important role in people's digital experiences like to, to create something for somebody to create something online where yeah, it may be functional, but where their eyes widen when they see it or touch it for the first time and they and they go, oh, my God, this is something special and this is something I want to engage with. Yeah. You, you, you know, you just can't under undervalue. You can't undervalue the value of beauty in this world. And I think we sort of rush toward to, to getting products out there and, and pushing things out and stuff like that. But, but if you take the time to to really think about what people want and make something beautiful and deliver it in a way that's packaged up nicely, you'll always be successful. Yeah, and how to contribute yeah. to, well, I feel is important too. If we are talking about sustainability in general, um, it's how to contribute something that is worthwhile and that is actually yeah. helping. Yeah. 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 And um, it's, it's actually um, for Never Too Small, each episode, we, we really craft them carefully. And as well as, you know, when we, we really can shoot as many apartments as we want if we don't really pick them. And then we, we, we don't call ourselves collecting, we call ourselves curating. So it's not because sometimes audience will send their design or other designers will send and then sometimes we just 
it's not up to our standards. And then what we really want is when we present something, it's really something special, special in terms of not just visually special. Sometimes it's the story or how they make the space works for certain people or, you know, how challenging the floor plan is or, you know, how challenging the building structure itself is. And um, those are the little details that we look at. And um, and what, what I really hope for is people who watch Never Too Small, it's not that they're going to renovate their place exactly the same. Um, there's one really interesting um, story that happened to me is that um, I used to wear Never Too Small hoodie a lot, which is love my own brand. And um, <laughs> one day someone recognized me and then he came out and said, oh, he didn't know I was the creator because I never was in the screen. He said, oh, do you work for Never Too Small? It's such a cool YouTube, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh yeah, I actually create the creator for it. And then he, he thanked me. He said, he and his wife, and their toddler live in a two-bedroom apartment in the city. And then he always feel like it's such a cramped apartment. And then the wife and him, they're looking to move into the suburbs. It's more affordable, but they really love to live in the city. And then he said, oh, after watching You're Never Too Small, we learned that, you know, how buying the right furniture is right, choosing the right curtain is right. And what they did is they changed the dining table set. And then they put um, the shelf from floor to ceiling, what, what they learned from Never Too Small, in yeah. their kids' room and then put all the, their belongings up there and then close it with a curtain, which they learned from one of the episodes. So they pick things from here and there and put together. And then they say now they absolutely love the apartment. They don't have to move to, to the suburbs because he oh, works in the so suburbs. Cool. Yeah, so that story. I know that, Cole. I love that story. But and those are the stories that, that keep you going, right? I mean... Yeah, that that experience really make me feel so, you know, all really touchy and warmy and make it worthwhile. <laughs> Did you cry, Cole? <laughs> no, not really. I didn't. I didn't get <laughs> no, but I get. I, I bet the guy got a hug. I bet the guy. Got a hug. Uh, we couldn't because that's during last year during all right. time. Oh man! Oh man! Yeah, he saw me in the supermarket, which is kind of odd. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's that because sometimes um, we we have people asking saying. You keep showing those expensive design why like it's not affordable but we are showing the ideas of it not exactly you have to renovate that one i think the ideas itself is so important for tiny space design yeah yeah you know that's you actually how i good, you look at something really good yeah that's actually how i found found you i think a few years ago no two years ago i i discovered t the tiny house movement and you know, I'm, I'm, so I'm a strategist, so I go down rabbit holes willingly. <laughs> and I just sort of, then that's how I discovered Never Too Small. And that was by far one of like the most inspiring things I had, I, I had seen. And yeah, and since then, I've always been, you know, I, I always watch it and I love what you both are doing. And um, yeah, and I love, I'm very excited to what the future will bring also. But speaking about inspiration, and um, I, I, I feel like we kind of, I, I want to wrap it up because I could talk for ages with, with you both on, on all kinds of different topics. But um, what we like to wrap up our conversations with is to ask how our guests get inspired. And you mentioned that inspiration just now, Colin, um, from, from the person you met, the fan who, who saw your video. Where do you both find your inspiration for anything? It doesn't have to be related to Never Too Small, but how do you stay creatively jacked? Joe, <laughs> um, I I love watching people reach their potential. Like it, it's I, I used to run a, a 
you know, big design team and a big agency and watching people, watching people actually like achieve more than they thought they could achieve is one of the most thrilling things on the planet. Um, and it makes me, every time I see somebody do that, I realize how much further I have to go as well individually. And I think that's, that's for me, it's like, you know, you think you reach your limit, you think you get tired, you, you get creatively, you know, juiced out, you got nothing left in the tank. And then you see somebody do something amazing they didn't think they could do. And you go, Oh my God, like we, 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 as human beings, we're, we're, we're incredible. Like we're, we're so capable and we're, we're so able to do the most amazing things if we push ourselves and, and the difference between people being successful creatively and not being successful creatively are, are like Colin. Like it's like whether you put your videos up on YouTube and you walk away and you go, that's a fail or you send that email off to the, the Canadian company and say, Hey, you know, I'm doing something here. Are you interested in it or not? And and that's the difference between human potential or not. Some people are no good at something and they try stuff and, and bless them. But a lot of people are really good at things and they don't actually really try hard enough. And, and I think that's the worst thing, the worst, the worst thing you can do. So when I see people reach for something and surprise themselves and look back at, you know, at what they've achieved and go, ah, oh, wow, I didn't think I could do that. But boy, I'm so proud. That makes me, first of all, want to do more and makes me really happy. That's so cool. Other people inspire you most. <laughs> How about you, Colin? Where do you get your inspiration? Oh, my inspiration comes from very different places, really. Uh, I guess I get, like Joe said, um, creatively, what do you call it? Juice out? I have that all the time. Juice out. Yeah, I, I yeah. just made that up. I don't know if that's a thing or not. I think that sounds good. I'm going to use that too. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I often have difficult making like quick decisions. I'm more of a person who get juiced out and then I need a break and then I just do other things. My inspiration a lot of time come from music, which is unrelated to visual. And then uh, I guess with music, I imagine music videos and then I get some visual, you know, how to film the apartment, stuff like that or other ideas. But I really, I like to look at weird stuff, how people catch attention, you know, um, it's like, I, I, I don't like boring stuff, to be honest, like pretty boring stuff. I, um, I often find like wacky, tacky design sort of trigger my creativity. And then... Um, but where do you and, see uh, those like, online or or where do you see that, um, that kind of stuff? Sometimes in a contemporary art gallery, you know, they put a ah, power okay. of sand there and then people say, what is that? And I'm looking at, oh, that's interesting, you know, it catch my attention. And, um, you know, I... Um, sometimes I make funny cakes, like sometimes I make ugly <laughs> cakes. That was a huge, for huge jump it. there. <laughs> um, and um, I, I, I used to like to make crazy stuff or taking stuff like baking gingerbread and making it into baby feeders and give it to my friend just for the joke saying she's pregnant. And I think from that, <laughs> and I realized that when you do wacky stuff like that, people tend to post it online and then they're making fun of it that's why never too small is such a totally not what you see on the regular uh, youtube videos we are totally opposite but in the classic classy opposite um so that's how we get attention that's why last the other day i was taking telling joe we want to have our um tote bag um design i want to have an older lady carrying our tote bag because it's not so much of insult to inspire people to 
to dress as the old lady is more like getting people the attention to look at the lady and then they look at the tote bag and then they realize it's this because wacky stuff get attention and then I love wacky stuff and I love contemporary art and uh, yeah so look and outside your bubble <laughs> sorry look outside your bubble yeah look outside the bubbles that's right and then uh, look at what people do and don't copy them basically yeah. <laughs> I love that I think that's a very powerful powerful end note at the end because that's where we started basically you said it there was so much weird stuff out there in terms of video and small spaces and now we're ending on the note find your own thing basically and don't copy paste and yeah contribute something yeah I love that so um, thank you so much for joining us um, and we could go on forever, but I do want to um, give you the chance to have a last shout out where people can find you, where people can order the book um, and look at the videos. Maybe you can give that. <laughs> Colin is celebrating. <laughs> so where are you on um, social media? Where people, where can people find Never Too Small? Joe, you want to say? I mean, if you want to find, if you want to, if you want to have a look at the book, go to nevertoosmall.com and you, you can't miss it. But you know, follow us on YouTube and and you know, if you love what we have, if you love what we have to say, then maybe you'll fall in love with what we we have to say and what we do, and maybe you want to buy the book. I don't want to push the book, but you know, if you haven't heard of us, <laughs> check out our videos. Yes, that's um, never yeah. too small on YouTube, I think, and Instagram as yeah. well is never too small. And our yeah, no, Instagram is NTV. Uh, never to NTVS, is that right? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm just <laughs> We're right going to link it. We're going to link it too. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. what's yeah. exciting well, coming up uh, for Never Choose More is that we, we might want to sort of um, have online courses of designing small spaces to be available. I'm not sure if in the future people listen to this podcast, but we can try to find us on Patreon if we ah, go with the okay. Patreon That's format exciting. for the membership. And it's definitely worth signing for because it's going to be. Um, have me representing the audience to go and seek for the answers how to design a small space um, better to live in. Gosh, my language is so funny anyway. Just oh, it's, it's 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. your time now. So <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, It's definitely worthwhile because we're going to talk to some most talented architecture, uh, architects and designers. That's and then cool. not only that, we probably talk to experts in uh, urban planning and whatnot, if you're into that as well. And also maybe Joe's talking about how to write a, um, um, what do you call it? Interior design book course, who knows? Book, 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 volume two, book never two. too small to yeah. at some point. But um, but I think as well, we're, we're gonna, um, I mean, you look at Monocle Magazine and what they do from a, a publishing point of view, we, we've got other ideas for, for books that we can, we can bring out which will you know inspire people in different ways other than just showcasing like let's actually teach people how to do it themselves and let's actually do walkthroughs of, of how you know what what a, what a small home or tiny apartment renovation looks like from from start to finish with warts and all like you know what do we where do we fail what do we do well where do we learn so there's a bunch yeah. of ideas that we're we're brewing that sounds really yeah, I wish cool. we, we, we could have more time to cover our topics because really in 2050, seven in 10 of us will, will be living in the city. So um, yeah, city living true. is going to be a big part of us, like, you know, majority of the populations in the world. So it is time now for sort of for us to slowly exploring how to make it better. And then um, so hopefully Never Too Small is going to be like the first um, starting point for people who has no design background or architecture background or urban planning background who can still learn a bit of information and knowledge from our channel at the same time get entertained and 
relaxed. Yeah. Zen. Calm. Be calm. Calm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's that's a very contemporary mission, mission and vision. And um, yeah, thank you so both, uh, so much both. Thank Sorry, you. now you. <laughs> It's thank you, getting to me too, Colin. Well and, done, Jojo um, B. <laughs> yes, thank you, you both, too, and enjoy your, <laughs> enjoy your evening. And um, we hope uh, maybe in a year, when, when your courses will be online and live, uh, we can invite you back and see how we're that's get part Lindsay of the here. journey. <laughs> no, no, we're going to get Lindsay on, on talking to you as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. thank you so much, and um, yeah. Good Thanks, luck Cesar. with Never Too Small and order the book, people. It's, I think it's going to be great. I'm going to order it. The whole world stops just like that. Thanks for tuning in to the Creative Insider Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and we inspired you, gave you ideas, or just got you through your workday. If you'd like to connect with us, please feel free to drop us a line, an emoji, picture a post anything on instagram you can find us at tci podcast you can also find us on linkedin on the creative insider page or you can join us on one of our creative aperitivos on clubhouse if you'd like to give us some love show us some kudos a little appreciation why not grab a coffee with us we're both avid coffee drinkers if you head on over to the creativeinsider.com you can sponsor us a coffee or two and if you'd like to invite us into your inbox, we'd be thrilled and honored. Please consider subscribing to our newsletter. Monthly, we send you highlights, creative inspiration, or anything that we find is shaking our creative sphere. So join us in the Creative Insider universe and help us build a world with more accomplished creatives. Stops just like that.